0: This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Folks, do you enjoy listening to Kick-Ass News? Well, then become a part of what I'm doing here and help support the show by going to patreon.com slash kickassnews and making a donation. Your encouragement and support is always appreciated. And now, enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. Earlier in the week, I had Ann Coulter on the show to talk about her new bestseller, In Trump We Trust, and make her case for a Trump presidency. Well, today, I'm giving equal time to the other side with a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter and author who also happens to have a book about Donald Trump on the New York Times bestseller list. Unlike Coulter, he is not eager to see Trump in the White House, and he bases this on his 30 years of investigating the man and his business. For the past four decades, David K. Johnston has been an award-winning investigative reporter whose stories have appeared in the San Jose Mercury newspaper, the Detroit Free Press, the Los Angeles Times, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the New York Times. He's currently chairman of investigativepost.org, and writes a weekly column for The Daily Beast and Investopedia.com, as well as frequent opinion pieces for USA Today, the New York Daily News, and other publications. Johnston wrote a best-selling trilogy on the American economy and a 1992 expose on the casino industry called Temples of Chance. He's been a consultant on the Netflix series House of Cards and serves as a distinguished visiting lecturer who teaches tax, property, and regulatory law at Syracuse University. The Washington Monthly has called him one of America's most important journalists. From February 1995 to April 2008, he was the tax reporter for the New York Times, where his 2001 reporting on the loopholes and inequities in the U.S. tax code earned him a Pulitzer Prize and was instrumental in bringing about reform. He was also a Pulitzer finalist in 2000 and 2003 for his reporting on various flaws in the U.S. tax code. Johnston first met Donald Trump in 1988, and over the past three decades, he's gained an intimate understanding of Donald Trump's business, his taxes, his true net worth, and a lot more. In 1990, he made headlines when he revealed that Donald Trump was not a billionaire, as he claimed— And back in 2015, Johnston was the only nationally known journalist who immediately said Trump was serious about running for president and could win the Republican nomination. His 30 years of investigative reporting on Trump go into his new best-selling book, The Making of Donald Trump. And on today's show, David K. Johnston reveals all about the great orange one. He gives lie to Donald Trump's claims that he's a Wharton MBA, a big philanthropist, and even a billionaire. He exposes Trump's shady family history, including how his grandfather Frederick Trump got rich as a pimp during the gold rush, and how his dad Fred Trump scammed veterans in the government out of millions. Then we talk about how Donald carried on the family tradition, swindling investors and stiffing vendors by the thousands, and how everyone from condo buyers to Trump U students have been unwitting victims of his deceptive and perhaps even illegal business practices. David discusses Trump's shockingly close ties to organized crime bosses, convicted drug traffickers and con artists, and how he probably broke the law by lying to the New Jersey Gaming Commission in order to get and keep his casino license. Plus, David speculates on the curious case of who forged one of Trump's tax returns, and he answers the question everyone wants to know about Donald Trump. Why won't he release his taxes before the election? Coming up on today's podcast... With Pulitzer Prize winning journalist David K. Johnston in just a moment. Today I'm joined over the phone by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and author David K. Johnston. He's been covering Donald Trump for 30 years, and he shares what he's learned in his new bestseller, The Making of Donald Trump. David, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. In the first part of the book, you talk about some advice that Donald Trump gave in a speech to uh, some of his business followers, and he says, which is interesting business advice, he says, be paranoid and get even. It's probably not something that we're looking for in a president.
1: Uh yes and this is one of the important things people need to understand about Donald Donald goes around saying no one reads the bible more than Donald Trump <laughs> even though he can't quote a single passage from it uh and that he's a christian well the fact is he has written at length as i point out in the book and given speeches of his personal philosophy which is get revenge uh destroy the life of anyone who won't simply do you a favor in fact if you are asked to do a favor for Donald and you say well i can't. That would be unethical. You now are attacking him, he has written, and he will go out of his way to make your life miserable. And he writes about how much pleasure he got from seeing a woman who wouldn't do him a favor lose her her husband, and then her business failed, and she lost her home, and it made him happier and happier and happier. That's not Christianity.
0: Yeah, and I, I can't imagine that's something that would make for a very good leader,
1: exactly right it is people don't follow someone like that Um, and the good executives the top-rate executives Donald has hired in the past they don't stay terribly long often because he fires them and sometimes because they just aren't gonna put up with him
0: yeah well in the book you start off talking about his family history what do we know about his dad Fred Trump and to what extent is Donald his father's son
1: Well, let me go back one step further to uh, how the Trumps came to America. Uh, Friedrich Trump was born in a little winemaking town in Germany. And when he turned 16 years old in 1885, he fled in the middle of the night to America to avoid the mandatory draft in Germany. He then followed Horace Greeley's advice. Go West, young man. And he went to Seattle, Everett, Washington, and then the Yukon Territory where he ran um, whorehouses. (laughs) <laughs> he made a fortune. He made a fortune. He came back, uh, then he went back to Germany, uh, married a young woman that his mother did not like or approve of. They came back to America, she didn't like New York City, so they returned to Germany and the Germans told Friedrich Trump, You're a draft dodger, get out of our country. So he came back to America. Uh he had two children, one of whom was Fred Trump, Donald's father. Uh, Donald never knew his grandfather because he died in 1918 when Fred was uh, 12 or 13 years old. Fred was a very ambitious, hardworking guy. Uh, When he was 15 years old, he had a business, technically owned by his mother because he couldn't sign contracts, building garages for people in the outer boroughs of New York. In the late 1920s, when he was in his 20s, he started one of the first self-service grocery stores and sold it after a year for a nice profit. He built housing during the war for shipyard workers, and through that learned how government spending and contracting works. And he is said to be the first person in line to get FHA financing to build housing for returning GIs after World War II. It turned out that Fred Trump also was masterful at gaming the contracting system and profiteering, and when evidence of this was brought to President Eisenhower, he threw a fit in the White House, and the proof of that is that pretty soon there were 100 federal investigators working on Fred Trump and some others, but Fred was the star witness in the subsequent proceedings where the Senate Banking Committee called him as a witness. And in that, you saw an early sign of who Donald Trump would be. Fred Trump said, well, well yes, it's true. There is $4 million there, but, but I didn't take the money. I'm not a profiteer. It's in the bank account. <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> and and so donald donald was one of uh, three sons the oldest of whom didn't want to be in the business and grew up became a twa pilot and an alcoholic and died in early uh, but donald followed dad into the business um worked with him extensively um the trump children when donald was uh, in diapers. His trust fund was collecting four times the average income of American families. Wow. And Donald started out with lots of advantages, not the least of which was that uh, the mayor of New York in the 70s, Abe Beam, was the lifelong friend and ally of Fred Trump. And Mayor Beam issued orders that anything Donald Trump wanted, you were to get for him. So Donald got. Uh, about 400 million dollars of city welfare to build a hotel that cost him less than 100 million dollars.
0: So, not the self-made man that he likes to claim he is.
1: No, not at all. And and someone who also blew, as I report in the making of Donald Trump, several opportunities to make really serious money because he mismanaged.
0: Since you mentioned the siblings, I never hear anything about Donald Trump's siblings other than I know that his older brother, Fred, died and was an alcoholic. And I know about his sister, Marianne, who's a federal judge. But I didn't even realize that he has, I think, two other siblings, right? Do they well, have had, much no, he has of a relationship? Yeah,
1: has, has two other siblings, Elizabeth, who you never hear about, and uh, Robert, who's uh, he's kind of a nice guy, um, uh, Mary Ann Trump Berry is the important sibling here. She is a federal judge. And one of the things Donald doesn't want people to know about is that in, in the Donald's casino business, he needed to have helicopters. to fly high rollers in and out of Atlantic City by helicopter. There are lots of helicopter companies, well financed, uh, reputable helicopter companies. Donald Trump went to a helicopter company run by a mob associate named Joey Wexelbaum, who's a convicted, twice convicted felon. Um, he also provided Donald with his personal helicopter, the Ivana, and his company took care of it. Uh, this guy was indicted as a major drug trafficker in 1985. He was running drugs from Miami to Cincinnati, Ohio, as much as 1,500 pounds at a time. The wow. federal court records show he personally handled the drugs. Well, he agreed to plead guilty, and he asked his case to be moved to Miami or to New York City where he lived, and mysteriously... It ended up in New Jersey before Judge Marianne Trump-Berry, Donald's sister. <laughs> now, Marianne Trump-Berry did what the law requires. She removed herself from the case. But in doing so, she put the rest of the judges in New Jersey, federal judges, on notice that they had a colleague whose husband regularly flew in these helicopters, and they had a federal judge who regularly flew in helicopters owned by a major drug trafficker. Well, the little fish in this drug ring, people who just drove the drugs up to Ohio, they get up to 20 years in prison. Donald Trump wrote a letter pleading for mercy for this guy, saying he was a stand-up guy and a diligent citizen. And he also tried to hide that he wrote that letter and cover it up, as I explained in the making of Donald Trump. This guy got 18 months. The leader of the drug ring gets 18 months. The little fish get up to 20 years. And when he gets out, supposedly broke, has no money to pay any restitution or anything else, he moves into a multimillion-dollar apartment in Trump Tower.
0: Really? This is after he was convicted? That's
1: correct. That's (laughs) correct. And before he was convicted, he he and his brother rented an apartment that Donald owned in another Trump building under quite unusual circumstances that I explain uh, in the book. And, you know, the question that voters should be asking is, First of all, do you want someone in the White House who has sought mercy for a major drug trafficker? But secondly, in doing that, Donald put his casino license at risk. If the state of New Jersey had wanted to take away his casino license, that gave them grounds. So what would prompt Donald Trump to risk his casino license for this drug trafficker? I don't know the answer to that question. Here's what I do know. Donald Trump desperately needed Joey Wexelbaum, the drug trafficker, to be his friend and not his enemy. He needed it so much he was willing to risk his casino license to be Joey Wexelbaum's friend.
0: Yeah, and it's strange because you do see this pattern where he has all kinds of unsavory associations. And even after he knows about it or they've been publicly exposed or they've been convicted, he still sticks by them. He he yeah. still defends them. He still goes to bat for, you know, in this case, goes to bat for them and tries to ask for leniency. And I'm wondering, is it because they have something on him or is it maybe because, as he loves to say, he prizes above everything else, loyalty, and this is his well, way of showing his yeah. loyalty to his friends?
1: Uh, Donald certainly is loyal to people when it's in his interest to be loyal to them. But I think the fact that Donald has repeatedly embraced con artists, swindlers, uh, mafia family leaders in New York, uh, corrupt union leaders, uh, reputed Russian mobsters, all of those, and swindlers, what all of those together tell you is that uh, Donald needs also to for them to be loyal to him, because they've engaged in conduct of one kind or another that could cause him other problems. So this, this, this history he has where, you know, he, he has a long history of cheating workers out of their pay. Workers, in some cases, he paid $4 an hour for when the standard wage was 16 bucks an hour plus benefits. He wouldn't pay them their $4 uh, of discriminating against blacks and women in rentals of his apartments uh, in the case of blacks and in hiring and assignments in the case of blacks, women, and Asians where there have been official government proceedings about these things. All of these things point to a man who does not conform or pay anything but lip service to the rules of society and its laws. And these relationships that he has um, have been very profitable for him. What motivates them is they're a source of money in deals in which Donald doesn't have to put up any money of his own but he's guaranteed to collect fees. And if you're the investor who gets swindled, he'll say, well, my getting a fee and my getting money is totally different than your situation that you put your money into it. And in one case, he said, uh, uh, people who put money into a failed project, uh, Trump project, he says, well, you should consider yourself lucky. I mean, if we'd proceeded, you would have lost even more money.
0: Going back to some of these other unsavory characters, though, I was amazed – the extent of the relationships that he has to these mobbed up characters. Now, he likes to portray that as, oh, these were just passing acquaintances. You know, I'm a New York real estate guy. Of course, you know, I'm going to have occasional interactions with some unions and stuff like that. But it sounds like there are a lot more relationships to the mob than he lets on and they run deeper than he indicates. Who are some (laughs) of the other mob related characters that he's associated with. And, and how recent does that go? Oh, I,
1: I can put Donald together with uh, people who were accused of, of being essentially organized crime figures uh, seven years ago wow. um, uh, in the same room. Uh, when major developers in New York, like the LaFrac and Resnick families were going to the FBI and Rudy Giuliani and saying, free us of these mob guys who are driving up our costs and threatening to kill people and causing us all these troubles. Donald Trump ran to the mob guys. So when there was a concrete strike in New York, all the concrete work stopped except at one building, Trump Tower, which is a concrete building whose concrete was purchased from a company owned by the heads of the Genovese and Gambino crime families. And Donald repeatedly has used concrete that came from crime families. Um, Wayne Barrett, in his book about Trump in 1992, Uh, asserted and had multiple witnesses that donald had met personally with fat tony salerno the head of the gambinos trump said it didn't happen but the new jersey division of gaming enforcement didn't go find the witnesses they didn't go look for the written records of this they just asked donald under truth is under, under oath is this true and he said no and that was the end of their investigation in more recent years Donald has had a business partner, uh, a senior advisor, according to his business card, and a guy with an an office inside the suite of Trump Organization offices named Felix Sater. Felix Sater is the son of the reputed Russian mob boss in New York City. He is a convicted violent felon. He is admitted to running a $40 million stock swindle on behalf of four of the five mafia families in New York City. And uh, he and Donald traveled all over together. I have uh, photographs and videotape and newspaper interviews with them in two cities in Colorado, in in Arizona, in Florida, and in New York City. And yet Donald told a reporter not too many months ago, I I hardly know the man. If he was in the room, I couldn't recognize him. And that's just blatantly not true um, about his relationship. Uh, We now know, because of reporting I've done recently, that Donald has associations with Russian oligarchs that go beyond the ones previously known, Um, ones that raise questions about whether he was a participant in a quarter-billion-dollar tax fraud. He's currently just a witness in this alleged tax fraud, but he wrote a letter that was necessary for the the alleged tax fraud to take place, And we now know, thanks to some really diligent reporting by Suzanne Craig at the New York Times, that um, one of Donald's entities has borrowed money from uh, Bank of China, which is owned by the Chinese Communist government. I mean, we've never had a president of the United States who gets money from the oligarchs in Russia. And... (laughs) <laughs> is involved in a loan from the communist government in beijing and remember donald trump's always running down china saying it's damaging yeah. our country
0: yeah he's always saying that he's the guy who's going to be tough on china that's amazing yeah, that's
1: right and 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 uh, his proposals to be tough on china would just make terrible economic trouble for us as lots of economists and trade specialists have pointed out mm-hmm. but the the broader picture here ben and the thing i do in the making of Donald Trump which has by the way 44 pages of notes at the end so you can look up where stuff yeah. came from is people have been given an image of Donald Trump masterfully crafted by him he's the PT Barnum of our age he knows how to market what he wants to market to you this book is essentially everything Trump doesn't want you to know about who he is and it's all thoroughly documented and who he really is compared to the image he sells are as different as night and day.
0: Yeah. And one of the key things to his whole pitch is he loves to brag that he went to the Wharton business school, the best business school in the country. Did yeah. he actually go to Wharton business school?
1: Well, Wharton has a famous graduate school of finance.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: did not go to that. Okay. It did, He's not it, an it MBA. Has, however, however, it has an undergraduate program and for two of his four years of college, Donald went there. Although, you know, I've called lots of people who went there, and so have other journalists. Hardly anybody remembers him. <laughs> um, uh, he says he was a top student, but you haven't seen him release his grades, even if he demanded other people do so. Um, but he did get an economics degree from the undergraduate program. And, and Ben, I point out in the book that Donald was asked a question under oath that any graduate of Wharton would be able to answer the way that a a grammar school child will tell you that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's a question that my graduate business students and my law students at Syracuse University College of Law could answer at the snap of a finger after taking my course, as should anybody who's been to a top business school. And when Donald was asked under oath about this fundamental business concept called net present value, his answer is gibberish. It's just gibberish. It's the same kind of gibberish that you saw when he was asked about the nuclear triad in the December (laughs) debate. And he made it, it was made clear to everybody that Donald didn't know what the nuclear triad was. He had to be schooled by of all people, Marco Rubio. And in my book, one of the things I reveal is the exact same person, the right wing radio talk show host, Hugh Hewitt asked the exact same question of Trump four months earlier. And in those four months, Trump did not go and learn so that he didn't look uninformed. Donald yeah. revels in his ignorance.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's what galls me, is that even when he knows what he doesn't know, and he's given the opportunity, he doesn't want to bother to actually learn what he needs to know to be able to run for the highest office in the world.
1: <laughs> right. right. Um, uh, my column uh, in the August 23rd, the Daily Beast and Investopedia, is about how Donald's campaign is a Potemkin village. Here's a man who has been Publicly lusting after the Oval Office since 1985, who's run for president before, although briefly, um, and who has no plan. He doesn't have a campaign plan. He doesn't have a campaign organization. It's wagged the tail like the the uh, the movie, <laughs>
0: um,
1: and and it's astonishing. I mean, people who run for president, Barack Obama, how unlikely a man to be elected president of the United States, novice senator from Illinois, who's black. And he executed a brilliant plan. Um, Hillary Clinton, who thought she had the nomination, clinched, didn't get it. And he wins the White House twice because he had a plan. (laughs) And yet yet he's constantly denigrated by by Donald as somebody doesn't know what he's doing. Donald's the one who doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know anything. And I show in the book repeatedly examples where his own words demonstrate he doesn't know what he's talking about.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back to talk more with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and chronicler of Trump, David K. Johnston, when we come back in just a moment. If you're enjoying my conversation with David K. Johnston, then check out his best-selling book, The Making of Donald Trump. And right now, you can download the audio version of his book for free, with a special promotion just for our listeners from Audible.com. Just go to audibletrial.com kickassnews for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download, which can be The Making of Donald Trump by my guest today, David K. Johnston, or any of Audible's 180,000 titles. That's audibletrial.com kickassnews. Or click on the sponsor link on our webpage to download the free audiobook of your choice. And now, back to the show. Help me out here. As I understand it, in the 80s and 90s, there was a time when Donald Trump really was a businessman and a developer who actually physically built things, who owned things, who employed people, who created jobs. And when he was in that role, he lost his shirt time and time again, tons of bad investments and lost a lot of people, a lot of money. But now he transitioned, he, he kind of pivoted, and he just licenses his name out now, as a, the same right. as any other cheap reality star would. Well,
1: even even in the past, Donald didn't actually build anything. He's the developer. He was not the contractor, the designer, or anything else, for example, of Trump, Ta- Trump okay. Tower, which I think is his signature accomplishment. Right. Um, and the other buildings, that he hired company called HRH Construction to build them, and he did them 100% with borrowed money. He, uh, his casinos in Atlantic City, the, he never had a penny invested in Atlantic City, not a penny. His first deal, he brags in his book, The Art of the Deal, how he deceived his partners, Harrah's, the, uh, which grew out of the Holiday Inn um, motel chain. And he brags about deceiving them because he hadn't done any work he got a big fee up front for that project when he acquired what was intended to be the hilton casino uh... he borrowed all the money and took a fee for himself when he got the taj mahal which is about to close in october and will be the end of trump in atlantic city he borrowed all the money and took a fee for himself and rather than reinvesting in his casinos and developing them he just pulled money out of them as fast as he could so when competition came along and Atlantic City had to shrink his casinos were among the first to fold there are still casinos in atlantic city making terrific profits uh because they're run by competent people who know how to run the businesses uh so trump has a great business skill it is by his own account his ability to borrow money that he knows he's not going to pay back he himself has said i've done this and i've made done very well by it And secondly, it's getting other people to do work for him that he doesn't pay them for.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's why there are more than 4,000 lawsuits against him. And those are the things that have made him wealthy. Now, Donald's a wealthy man. By any standard, he is a very rich man. But there's no evidence at all that he's a billionaire. And I'm the guy who broke the story back in 1990, in April of 1990, that he wasn't a billionaire. Donald said that was ridiculous, and then four months later, public documents came out in a formal proceeding that showed he had a negative net worth of 295 million dollars. Or, as I reported at the time, you are probably worth more than Donald Trump.
0: Now, um, do you say that he still probably is not a billionaire even today? There's no evidence that he's a billionaire. Okay. Um,
1: it, it, he, you know, he won't. Show his tax returns. You give me his tax returns, and I will engineer them backwards and tell you the value of many of his assets. Everything he's depreciating, I'll figure out the value of it. At least what he tells the government. <clears throat> um, uh, the uh, Donald has shown repeatedly signs of stress, paying his bills on time, just as he did in 1990. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a billionaire, you don't uh, do as Donald did to the Benjamin Moore paint dealer in Florida from whom he bought the paint for remaking the Doral Country Club. He wouldn't pay him his last $34,000. You buy a lot of paint when you rebuild uh, the Country Club uh, and its other buildings. And that building is now subject to foreclosure by the Benjamin Moore paint dealer after, under oath, Donald's guy at the Doral testified that the reason the last part of the bill wasn't paid is that, quote, Mr. Trump believes he has paid enough.
0: He seems to have a very flexible net worth that can be whatever he wants it to be. Well,
1: and in the making of Donald Trump, I quote what Donald said when he was asked under oath about how he established his net worth. Now, you and I and everybody else I know say, well, we own these assets, you know, a house and a, um, cars and stocks and a retirement plan, and then we subtract what we owe to banks or anybody else, right? And the difference yeah. is our net worth. Mm-hmm. Donald was asked under oath, and he goes, well, it depends on my emotional state. And he said, "What? You know, the lawyers like go through this." And Donald goes on and on about, "Yeah, his net worth is a function of you know how he's feeling that day, what's going on in the world that day." And this explains why last summer, when Trump announced he was running, and I was the only national journalist who said he's serious this time and he might get the Republican nomination, within a matter of days, Trump said he was worth eight point seven billion, ten billion, more than ten billion, and in one case, eleven billion. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's net worth pops around within a month by those kinds of numbers. That's
0: absurd.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and and we should recognize that uh, Donald simply makes it up. He <laughs> creates his own reality.
0: Yeah. And what's amazing to me throughout all this is he says things that are provable lies time and time again. Yep. And I don't know, maybe you have an, some insight into this. Does he just think that? people have no memory and that they just won't care or forget the next day that no one is ever going to actually dig into these things because they're very easy yeah, well, to find.
1: Well, Ben, this is why I called Donald a con artist. And, and I recognized within a few weeks of meeting him, he's basically a con artist. That's what con artists do. They tell you things and they don't pay attention to the fact that you can track. If you're someone like me who does it for a living, that the statements don't add up and you don't care because you're only looking for the marks mm-hmm. who aren't going to do that the marks who are going to hear what you want them to hear and then you just have to deal with people like me by you know saying ah, it's the liberal media they're out to get me they hate me you know um... uh... in an effort to wipe those things away Donald creates his own reality the day that i met donald in june of nineteen eighty eight I sized him up right away as as RPT Barnum, you know, selling you tickets to mm-hmm. the Fiji Mermaid. <laughs> but then when I started asking about him, because he was the most important figure in Atlantic City, his competitors, Steve Wynn, um, executives of other casinos, some gamblers I met, and his own people began telling me, Donald doesn't know anything about the casino business. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm a professional skeptic. I just didn't <laughs> believe that. So I posed... I wrote down some carefully worded questions, and it's a notebook I wish I could find. I've lost it among all the documents I have kept. And I said something to Donald the next time we met about craps, and I said something that wasn't true. And Donald immediately incorporated that into his answer. So I had several other questions where I fed him false information, and he incorporated them into the answers. Which told me that they were right. He didn't know anything. But secondly, he was doing what, you know, the psychics advertised on daytime TV do and what swindlers Mm -hmm. and con artists do. He was telling you what he thought you wanted to
0: hear. He does a similar thing with uh, a lot of these swindles like Trump University and some of these condo deals where When it's to his advantage, he presents it as he's deeply involved in the daily operations of these things. And then once things go south and they get caught ripping people off and doing shady things, then suddenly he claims that he has no hand in the day-to-day operations and he merely licensed his name to it. So with Trump University and some of these failed condo operations, which is it? Is he involved or isn't he?
1: Well, uh, no, generally he's not. And let's use Trump University, because it's a great example. A guy who's in the continuing professional education business comes to him. If you're a lawyer, an accountant, an architect, or a real estate salesperson or broker, you have to periodically attend training sessions to make sure you're up to date on the law. Mm -hmm. This guy had what I think is a great idea. Hey, let's market the Donald J. Trump continuing professional education for real estate people. We can charge a premium price. He brings this to Trump, and Trump says, that's a great idea. I now own it. Here's a 3% equity stake for you and a quarter million dollar salary. Trump then does a promotional video. Trump University, it's all about success. You're going to have success. And we're going to have the finest faculty, both adjunct and full facul- full-time faculty, personally handpicked by me so they're the very best. And he says, you're going to get a better education than at the business schools. And trust me, I know, because I went to the best business school, which he really didn't do. Well, uh, when he's put under oath about this, uh, Donald is asked about the faculty. He doesn't know who they are. He's read the names of a whole bunch of them. He doesn't know who they are. He's shown pictures. He's offered videos. He doesn't know them. He admits he had nothing to do with picking them. It turns out one of the uh, quote-unquote faculty was running a fast food joint. Two of them were in personal bankruptcy. Nobody had any experience that anybody can find in real estate. Hmm. And the state of Texas sent uh, investigators who went to 57 different Trump seminars and gathered information. Well, you paid $1,500 for the first session, which consisted primarily of high-pressure sales tactics to pay $35,000 for the full Trump University package where you would get to meet Donald, you would get his uh, personal uh, list of banks to borrow money from, and you would get this fabulous education. And they would stand there and show you how to call your bank or other banks and get enough credit on credit cards to pay the $35,000. Wow. Well, once you've exhausted your ability to borrow to pay Trump University, how would you borrow any money to get into the real estate game? This is a classic sign of a fraud.
0: Yeah.
1: Furthermore, the Texas uh, officials concluded that the, the information was not only worthless, but in some cases contrary to law. And um, uh, Donald, um, uh, uh, by the way, that list of special lenders, yeah. I got it off the Internet for free. It comes from a <laughs> magazine called The Scotsman's Jeez. Guide. Uh, this whole Pretty thing was sleazy. a complete fraud, and it's the way Donald does business, and he just assumes he can get out of it. I don't think he's going to yeah. be able to get out of the three different lawsuits over the Trump University alleged fraud, and and I don't think he has any defenses that will stand up in court.
0: Yeah, well, you won a Pulitzer Prize for your work exposing tax cheats. Donald Trump doesn't seem to want to release his taxes. If you, no, he doesn't. Yeah. What, if you were to guess, what do you think he's afraid is going to come out in his taxes? Oh,
1: I don't, I don't have to guess. I mean, I know some of this. Uh, first of all, we know that Donald did not pay income taxes in 78, 79, 84, 92, and 94. We know that his adjusted gross income, that's the last line of the front page of your tax return, in recent years has almost certainly been less than five hundred thousand dollars because donald collected something in new york called the star property tax credit and well he said it was a mistake a computer just goes through all the tax returns and if you're below that number you get a check and if you're above it you don't get the check um... in addition we know that in nineteen eighty four i dug this up recently and it was in my column for the daily beast and investopedia um... donald filled out what's called a Schedule C. It's a, a freelancer sole proprietor tax return form in which he showed zero income in 1984. That was his biggest year ever at that point. The Trump Tower was uh, units were selling and the first casino opened and he had money, rivers of money flowing to him in which he showed zero income and over $600,000 of expenses. Well, both New York State and New York City income tax auditors flagged this and said justify these expenses Uh, deductions. He couldn't do it, but he ordered his longtime tax guy to file an appeal anyway. And in the trial, in one of these two cases, the tax guy was shown the tax document, the tax return. And he looked at it and said, it was a photocopy, by the way, it's very significant, it was a photocopy, no one could find the original. He looked at it and said, "Uh, you know, um, that's my signature, but I didn't prepare that document.
0: So, who did? Well, who
1: else then would have prepared that document? And by the way, my first National Investigative Reporting Award more than 40 years ago was for somebody I proved used a photocopier to put his name on some document so he could swindle a bunch of people. Ah. And and that is extremely strong evidence of fraud. That's yeah. very clear evidence that there's fraud. Now, obviously, some people are going to say, well, why hasn't he been prosecuted? Yeah. There'll be about 150 million tax returns filed this year, and the federal government will criminally prosecute about 1,600 people, most of whom are drug dealers or politicians on the take. We make no significant effort to prosecute tax crimes in America, which I've written about extensively.
0: Yeah, well, maybe John Miller or John Barron, his, uh, his fictional publicist did his taxes. <laughs> Who knows? Well, yeah. b- before we go, I just want to ask you yeah. one thing. Someone once said to me, how different would things be if Donald Trump had simply had a friend? Reporter after reporter who are digging into him have said that they have no evidence that Donald Trump just has a buddy who he can talk to, who isn't on the payroll and isn't a sycophant. Do you have any evidence that Donald Trump has any friends?
1: No, I've never seen the least bit of evidence that Donald has any friends. And my experience with Donald and that of many people I've talked to who he and people who worked for him in, in prominent positions is pretty much the same, which is that um, Donald doesn't see other people as people. That's why he can cut off health care for a sickly infant to make money from doing so, because Donald sees everybody else as an object, a thing to be used. And if you, in my book, I tell about his appearances on the Howard Stern radio show, and in that it's very clear that he regards uh, the women that he talks about in the most vile language not as people but as things. Uh, you are there to be used. Uh, Donald is is a narcissist, and yeah. he has no moral core of any kind. He has no moral compass, uh, like the rest of us do. And he's not a happy human being. I mean, he'd be glad you're not Donald Trump. He is. He will never have contentment or real joy in his life, and and that's sad. That's that's, yeah. that's sad. But but he's seventy years old. And he's not going to change any more than I am. I'm 67. You you know, you're cooked at this age, if not long, if not decades ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty sad and pretty disturbing. Well, the book is called The Making of Donald Trump. Folks, you should read it before you cast your ballot in November. Just know what you're getting into. David K. Johnston, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Ben, thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks again to David K. Johnston for coming on the show. And if you enjoyed today's episode, then order his new bestseller, The Making of Donald Trump. I'll include an Amazon link where you can order it in the show notes for this episode and on our website at kickassnewspodcast.com. Or if you'd prefer to listen to the audio version, you can download that for free through that special trial offer just for our listeners at audibletrial.com slash kickassnews You can frequently read David K. Johnston's weekly column at thedailybeast.com or investopedia.com You can learn more on his website at davidkjohnston.com and you can follow him on Twitter at, at davidkj That's at David C-A-Y and then the letter J. Be sure to subscribe to Kickass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com/kickassnews. Or if you prefer, you can set up a recurring monthly contribution at patreon.com/kickassnews. You can visit Kickass News on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at @KApolitics. And please be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to all your friends on your social media. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnewspodcast.com. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News.